Welcome to the Vietnam Rising Podcast, where we have a discussion with the shakers and movers individuals in Vietnam about the opportunities in the business scene. I am your host, Minh Tham, and let's tune in to catch the inspiring stories, business opportunities, and how to navigate your way in this rising economy. Welcome everybody to another episode of Vietnam Rising Podcast. I'm very excited to be here today to cover another topic that is very interesting and I'm sure that a lot of you when you look into Vietnam you will absolutely want to know more about it. so this topic we are today the topic we're gonna cover is startup startup community startup funding and especially venture capital VC as some of you might know Vietnam is one of the hottest startup hubs in Southeast Asia, as well as in the world. There are a few reasons for that. Number one, we have almost 100 million populations in Vietnam, in which there are more than 60% of us are in our prime spending years, which means we are in labor, we are working, we are making money, and we are spending money. Vietnam also has over 7 million mobile penetrations in Vietnam. And last but not least, we also have a very cost-efficient labor where, and with very high quality skill. For all that reasons, that's why startup in Vietnam has been like exploded. The amount of startup co- companies has opened in Vietnam, has multiplied and grow exponentially as well as a lot of international startups, they are starting to look into Vietnam as one of the potential market, or they are looking into Vietnam as to base or to outsource most of their work here. Today, I'm very excited to have a guest that join me to, to discuss and discover more the insights about the startup community in Vietnam. Please welcome Lam. Leo Pham. He is working as the at Access Ventures, a very insightful person about the startup community and venture capital in Vietnam. How are you, Long? I'm good, good. Uh, happy to be here. Um, so I guess first to start a bit about myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm a Vietnamese, born and raised. When I was 18, I left Vietnam for the US mm-hmm. uh, for school, obviously. Then later on, I stayed, worked for a few years in the U.S. Uh, as a software engineer. Then about three years ago, I returned to Vietnam. Um, first, obviously, to return home, which is my homeland, but also to look for uh, new opportunities. Um, so I was thinking there's two ways I could go about this. Uh, keep being a software engineer, you know, uh, make a lot of money, or, you know, do something else. Uh, get back to the country, mm. you know, to the people. And I was seeing that there was a tr- rising trend of you know like young founders, young companies that are re- really starting out, but they don't really know what they want to do. There's a, th- these guys are oftentimes uh, young engineers themselves, or you know a bit more senior engineer with a few years in 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 the in in, in the works, but they don't really know how to effic- effectively run a company. So that, that's why I decided to jump jump ship to basically join the dark side, as you might might say it. Um, to join the investment side of startup, uh, f- as first was a as a trainer, you know, uh, 
academic program manager for a local accelerator uh, program uh, that trained Vietnamese founders, and later on joined uh, a VC fund, a venture capital fund. I see. So back when you were in like Boston, when what was the moment where you make the decision of okay, I I I need to go back to Vietnam. Right. So um, so I left the U.S. in 2016, but about a year before that, I visited home, um, and this is the first time I visited Vietnam after like maybe four years of being away. Mm-hmm. So. And during the four years, I did a lot, right? So I went to school, went to Germany for exchange program, and I went back to the U.S. and worked as a software engineer for a few years. So um, I didn't really have a good sense of how, how, how much had changed in Vietnam at the time. So I went back, this is like late 2015, um, stayed for a month, and first impression is like, oh wow, man, a lot has changed, you know, because I went, when I left Vietnam, it was like 2009, 2010, right? Uh, mind you, this is like right around the corner of the global financial crisis. Mm-hmm. So it started in 2008, and then the impact started hitting all the way to 2009, 10. So the, you know, the overall environment wasn't very good, you know. People were losing, losing faith, they didn't really have, a, what, what am I going to do with my life? And this, this was a common theme for a lot of young people, right? But in 2015, the economy was booming. You know, there were more and more uh, global franchise entering Vietnam, more and more uh, young entrepreneur, uh, grassroots, uh, homegrown entrepreneurs is springing uh, in the country. So, so 2015, I came back, I saw all that. And I have some friends uh, here who was actually was in the middle of starting new companies or like they work for startup companies. So I learned a lot from them as well, like what's going on here, how much it changed, and what are the opportunities. Um, and then after that, I came back to the U.S. and I was like, "Yeah, I need to get back to Vietnam, you know, mm. to be part of the part of the rising wave." Um, mm. Took me about a year to settle my affairs in the U.S., you know, sell my assets and all that. Uh, but eventually, in mid to late 2016, I slowly transitioned back to Vietnam. So first, like moving some of the stuff back here, uh, started re- reconnected to old friends, uh, families. Uh, and also obviously travel a bit, went to Japan, Taiwan, Korea, you know, kind of like exploring the whole East Asian uh, landscape, see, what, see what's out there as well. Uh, and then early 2017, uh, officially settled back. Mm. So that, that, was a, that was a story. It took about a year and a half basically to, uh, you know, get back into it. Mm. Yeah. Then when you come back, what is the first impressions of the community when, when you come back? Um, well, it's, it's awfully very early on, right? So mm-hmm. my youth, I, I, I was in Boston, right? So it was a very vibrant community. It was a bunch of colleges all around, MIT, Harvard, all the best schools around. A uh, lot of young talents, a lot of uh, rising startup companies. Um, and obviously because there's so many great institutions around, they spend a lot of money supporting local startup and there's a lot of like uh, VCs and entrepreneur, entrepreneurial programs. Uh, y Combinator started out in Boston, for example, before they moved out to Silicon Valley. Uh, and they are only one of the biggest startup builders uh, in, in the world, right? So uh, Boston had a lot. Uh, when, I, when I came back to Vietnam, there, were, there weren't that many you know, ecosystem builders like that. Uh, there weren't that many VCs, uh, venture capital funds. There weren't that many accelerator incubators. There weren't that many founders, <laughs> even. Uh, yeah. There were a few successful founders, but you know they 
was like they started in like 2005 and six, and by the, by the time I turned, they already became the massive companies like Vina Game, VNG, Tiki, right? The young founders just starting out, so we basically were at the new wave of entrepreneurship in Vietnam when I came back. But that was, that was a good time, right? Because you know you, I could I effectively participate in the rising that rising way, and then maybe added more value to the to these young founders and young companies. Yeah. So you join in accelerators. Yeah. And uh, what what was your work there? Um, so again, I I didn't have an investment or finance finance background. Um, I wasn't an investment banker. I wasn't a financier. So obviously, I chose a more technology gear uh, accelerator program to join. Um, so it's called VIISA or Visa for short. Uh, it was co-founded by FPT uh, and Dragon Capital. Dragon being one of the largest like asset manager PE firm in the country, um, private equity firm in the country. So they were just looking for you know young founders, uh, maybe first time, second time founders with. Basically, we're just starting out, three six months, you know, idea stage or like a bit like pre prototype, you know, very first product stage kind of company, and then uh, they 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 put in some some a little money uh, and a lot of support, uh, mostly coming from these two large corporations, right? So I was a program manager there, and most of my work surrounding you know building out training program for founders, because again, my you these are very young founders, you know, first time maybe second time after they failed the first one in a very short time. So uh, that was the basic uh, profile for these guys. So they they might know what they're doing uh, in their own sector, but like if just an engineer, they, he might be a very good engineer, right? But running a company doesn't just surround like, building product, like building, doing engineering work all the time. You have to also be, con- be concerned with, you know, like uh, financial numbers, accounting standards, uh, you know, all these things. So these guys don't know any of that. So we, our, our work, me and my colleagues, uh, my co-workers, uh, we spend more time building our training programs. It's like training a hamster, you know, <laughs> uh, training grills for these guys. And also like uh, building out a connection ecosystem. Because again, you know, startups at the end of the day are still companies. They still need a meaningful relationship with other partners, other mostly large corporation who have a lot of resources to support the company, these young startups. Uh, so we go out there, we talk to these guys. Uh, it's like, hey, look, um, I have this I have this company in my program, in, in our fund. Um, they're very, very early on. They're building stuff, they're building this thing. Can you please take a look at it and see if it, you know, might be useful for your company or your fund. So a lot a lot of these guys end up doing that and they look at it and it's like, oh, well, this, this tool is nice. You know, we can use it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's how we start building getting the first clients for these guys as well. Sorry. Uh, yeah, so that was an example of what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically you help um, startup to mm-hmm. build connections, yep. raise funds, and also train them to have skill set and basically business management skill set in general because a lot of them are coming from like specialist background like technology or a certain area of it yep. but they never been an owner or they must just they are just first time owner and they are not very experienced in that whole scene yeah pretty much i see then um what was the most memorable like project or company that you work with in in visa um, yeah, so there's a company called Yourbox, U-R Box, U-R-B-O-X. Um, so these guys do a digital loyalty, digital platform, uh, digital loyalty vouchers. Uh, 
for other companies. Um, so I first met them, I think they were six months old. Uh, it's like three guys, all very, very experienced people. So the, the, the main founder, he worked at VP Bank uh, for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. He's a head, he was running the credit card programs. Mm -hmm. Another guy was a lecturer at the National US Economic University in Hanoi. Mm -hmm. And the third guy, the youngest guy, who's also the CEO in charge, you know, he's he was ex-marketing at Grab. He worked at, uh, let's say, uh, Citibank or VP Bank, mm -hmm. uh, one of those banks. So, so again, this is a very young team. You know, they they all, they barely started out. They talked to a few funds. Everyone was saying that like, hey, you are too early. Go find someone else to, who can help you. So I met the CEO, the youngest guy, like a mixer. I was a speaker. He was one of the, one of the people there. Mm -hmm. So after I finished my speech, he came to me and like, hey, I heard about you guys from this uh, this fund, and then I'd love to talk to you more about investment. Mm. And so we started talking more and more and more. And about two two months later, I I brought the deal up. I brought the company up to our investment committee, uh, and I was like, say, look, we need to invest in these guys. And mm -hmm. That's just how it is. I, I love these guys. You know, we we gotta do this. Um, you know, another two weeks of negotiation. You know, this this again. This is all very technical, right? So mm -hmm. you have to every every deal that you do in the in the, in the venture capital fund or the fund in general, you mm -hmm. have an investment committee comprised of a few people who approve the deals. So I was the deal leader basically, and uh, just like protecting the deal, go up to the investment committee and like, hey, look, we need to invest. So that was the technicality. But uh, about two weeks later, we invested and. Uh, shortly after they finished the program, they raised funds from Vina Capital Ventures, and now they are basically the biggest digital digital loyalty platform in the country. Mm. They got like two, three hundred merchants, couple hundred, uh, a couple hundred clients, brands mm -hmm. using their, their platform. Um, uh, coffee house, you know, Grab, all, all the all the household brand names you can think of, they're all there. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm really proud of that you know they I met them when they was barely starting out. Um, I pushed my way through to everyone to de to defend the deal and basically I helped them as much as I could, uh, connecting them with everyone that I know like uh, some of the biggest banks like ACB Asia Commercial Banks, uh, and even you know introducing them to investors. Uh, so. That was one of my proudest moments when they raised from Bina Capital Ventures. Wow, that's yeah. very exciting. Yeah. So what what would you say is the unique thing about that team or maybe the teams of the projects that you decided to to, to invest in? And what was the unique point of that from, from that team or those teams that uh, that makes you okay, these are the guys that we have to work with? Right. So again, in investment there there's always risk. There's a certain there's a certain amount of risk that any any investor willing to take. For early stage companies like this, uh, the risk was a lot because again they, they don't have anything yet or they have a, a little traction they have a a prototyping product that is barely working. Um, so you have to look at the rest of the asset that a team has. And in the, in the case of these early stage company, the biggest asset will be the founders, the team. Um, so I, I had a luxury of talking to the three co-founders of this company very early on, all three of them. And um, this this go back a lot to gut feeling as well you know, and how you uh, read people. Um, so my gut feeling told me that these guys are great and they can do something big. Maybe not, maybe even not with, not this, with this project, because this is a pretty tough thing to tackle, but it's worth an investment. 
someone need to believe in these guys. Uh, so I, I, I basically made a, made a bet that I'm gonna, de- I'm gonna work with these guys. I'm gonna try to defend them. I'm gonna help them raise, uh, so that they, so that they can succeed. So it's basically a bet, you know. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's really hard to tell if something was gonna succeed or not, uh, especially in the t- in the technical in the technology space where you know you can have, you never know. Mm-hmm. So for startup, then, um, well, my question would be for Vietnam startup, and from what you see, are they mostly focusing just for Vietnam market? Or are they also looking into like regional or like global market as well? Well, again, a lot of these founders they are starting from Vietnam, so securing your home base, your home market would be probably number one. Um, I would I would say that nine out of ten founders I met um, they start with Vietnam, because again, Vietnam is a big market, hundred million people. Um, but don't you think they just focus in Vietnam? Are they missing? They maybe built a a product that only fit for Vietnam, but not the entire world. Again, it really depends on the industry. So, for example, for e-commerce, you can build a cross-border e-commerce platform like LeFlair, but you're missing the opportunity that Vietnam have to offer, right? Because because even right now, e-commerce in Vietnam is like about maybe ten percent. Nine percent is still physical retail. There's a huge, uh, you know, frontier beyond what is already there. Um, but obviously, for other and then for financial services as well, like fintech, you know, there's huge opportunities out there. Maybe not in payment because that's already mm-hmm. pretty crowded, but like in lending, uh, crowdfunding, blockchain, you know, all that. There's a lot of things out there that you can do in Vietnam. But obviously, you do you're gonna do something like. Uh, e-commerce enabler, right? So let's say you 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 are a tech enabler for e-commerce platforms. You don't just you don't want to just work in Vietnam. There's only maybe what five players in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, you want then you want to look at beyond the you know the borders of Vietnam. You want to look you want to work with like MNC multinational brands or like you know uh, uh, micro brands or like designer labor from labor from all over the all over the region. That that's how you can best leverage your technology technology platforms. Um, so it, again, it really depends on the industry you're operating in. It's really on your business model as well. Is it going to be B two B? Is it going to be B two C? Is it going to be C two C? So B two B is business to business, and B two C is business to consumer, and obviously C two C is consumer to consumer, right? So it depends on your model. You have to choose your your first market and choose it well. Okay, you choose a you you, you might choose the wrong market. Uh, and that won't be really bad. But you cho- even you choose the right market, but you you don't have a right uh, execution for it, and it's still going to fail. Mm. So uh, uh, yeah, again, that's really depend on the industry that you're operating in and how you how you operate. How about startup that coming from overseas to Vietnam? Like, do you think that if they apply a a standard models from overseas to Vietnam, would that work for Vietnam market? Well, I don't think so. Generally, we've seen that uh, there's been uh, numerous cases where a global uh, regional companies startup try to expand to Vietnam. Uh, the most obvious case being Grab and Uber and Grab, right? Mm-hmm. So Uber is a is a is a global player. Um, they had a lot of advantage. They had a lot of learnings. They had lessons, but they still fail uh, in China and then in South Asia. 
as Grab, uh, being a regional player, they had a much higher flexibility and much higher localization level, meaning that they can customize market by market by market. So Grab Indonesia is totally different, is operating in a different way compared to Grab in Vietnam, right? different than Grab in Thailand. Obviously, the, the, the key services are the same, meaning like the, the norms of the company, you know, the, the, key, the core values of the company are the same. But operational, uh, you know, operation. Like policies. Yeah, policy, you know, internal regulations, all that. It's, it had to be subjected to the country manager, country head. Mm-hmm. And that's how they was able to, to, to succeed in Vietnam. You know, they, they customized fairly well mm-hmm. for, lo- for the local market. And because they, and again, so at, so when you have a similarly uh, excellent execution, execution is the, the matter of who had the most money. Mm-hmm. And that's how Grab been so successful in Vietnam to beat out everybody else. Yeah, for sure. Like even in e-commerce, right? You see Lazada have uh, Lazada, or Tiki, and, and and others e-commerce platform. They are in Vietnam, but they still. The, the penetration of e-commerce is very um, like still very small. Yep. The reason is it's just mostly focused in like like super city like Ho Chi Minh or Hanoi, but or like Da Nang or like others, but, but uh, and Kanta too maybe. But then the rest of the countries are still very um, brick brick and mortar business. And I saw and I also see that there are startup that are making advantage of it because they understand that Vietnam is a very unique market that you can just apply a standard model to it so they become a suppliers or like um, a vendor to those huge startup and and help them to localize their service and and, and, and products to Vietnam yeah so, so that's what I meant earlier right? Vietnam is a huge market there's a lot to do here and if you, if you run say a delivery company you know, you, you don't have to just go out and build your own delivery system. You can do like franchise system. Like for example, uh, several different delivery companies started doing like what the franchise model when they go to like a localized, uh, say a mom and pop store and like, hey, look, I want to turn you into a postal office for us. You know, so usually they, 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 they spend some money, uh, these guys receive like a POS machine and then all these tools that they need to run the basically a simple postal service. And that's how you scale very, very quickly. Uh, you cannot, you can, you, I can never see like DHL or like FedEx do that. You know, mm-hmm. they have certain standards they have to comply, but these small, the smaller delivery companies, they don't care. You know, they just need a basic minimum so that they can de- get the goods delivered to the right place at the right time to the right people, that's it. Um, even even companies like DHL, right? They work with these smaller delivery companies because again, they their coverage network is not big enough, and they want to increase that coverage network. They have to go in there, basically rebuilding a delivery, you know, like infrastructure from from the ground up. This is working with these smaller vendors. Uh, it might affect their performance a little bit, but their return on investment is much much easier to to optimize. Absolutely, I also think one of the very unique thing about Vietnam market is that. A lot of people, or I say like most people have a very entrepreneurial spirit, right? So it's very common for you to have a nine to five job and then if you and have a side hustle or something. It's mm. either can be you can selling something online mm. or it's either it could be you are running a, a cafe, a restaurant or yeah. something for a family business mm. or you may be saving money 
to mm. start on your own. So mm. I think that is one of the very unique thing about Vietnam market is that everybody's so entrepreneurship. So it's the competition is super high because everybody think and try to be creative in how to enter different market. And but yeah, it's create a very high competition, uh, like a high competitions like market, but it also affects the the turnover rate of labor, right? Because a lot of employees you able to recruit, they will work and they will start working with you and then on the side they still try to focus to build their own business instead of um, you know, just work and work for the company and stay there. Mm -hmm. So do you think that is that gonna be a challenge or is that an opportunity for Vietnam? I think it's gonna be an opportunity. Because again you think about uh, you know labor efficiency, right? For 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 like low skilled jobs, you know, uh, you know, like you know, the delivery guys and all that, you don't need a lot of training, so they can do two, three different jobs at once. It's like like Access Venture, right? We in, we recently invested in a company called Vietcall. Mm -hmm. it's a blue color HR on demand platform. Let's say you are a tiki, you need to find a ten delivery guy for this month. Go on Vietcall, you know, uh, the HR manager go on Vietcall and just like submit the JD. JD get pushed out to like a uh, thousand different uh, candidates on Big Call platform, and then they they receive it, they apply for it by one click, click click click, and then done. So they they get us, and then they maybe they get an interview with the HR manager or something like that, and they get the job right away. And the good thing about these low skill jobs, you need a lot of training. You can do a lot for you know office workers and all that. Obviously, you know they they can only do a lot in one day. You don't want to force them to do like twelve. 14 different hours sitting in the desk in front of a computer. That's that's counterintuitive. But then these guys want to go out, work some more, get some money after after work, just so they can, you know, earn some money. That that's helpful as well, because you know, with more money they can buy more, they can purchase more and help with CPI, help with the macroeconomics as well, uh, overall. And so I don't think it's as I don't think uh, and then later on when the, when these guys have given enough to the company they work at, they go out there and start a new company. That's also good, you know, more, more taxpayers, uh, more, more tax money collected for the, for the government, more jobs, uh, more jobs created mm -hmm. and all that. So I think overall it's a good thing. And the companies, you know, they, sh they shouldn't feel that threatened by, you know, startups, projects, or like by employees leaving to do a startup because again, you know, this, this is good. These guys, these guys have given all they got for the companies and now they, they're leaving to start something new. That's always good. Unless they start a competing business, <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. I don't think that's good. But I, I, I don't see that happening a lot. I think Vietnamese people, you know, we have a high, high level of morality. Work ethic. Yeah, mm -hmm. not just work ethic, also like you know, like respect, you know, for for your peers. You know, you used to work for the company, you saw this company not doing something right, uh, like a pinpoint or niche market that, that your own company is not doing very well, and you go out and start that. There's there's no competition, competition, right? Well, it's indirect, but still, because yeah, you, you improve from what you learn from that previous uh, yeah. employer, and then you, you start your own business because you you see that you can solve a problem for a customer. Yeah, and again, that's how that's how Vietcall started, right? Both of the guys who started Vietcall was ex-Tiki. Hmm. They saw the HR process in Tiki was a nightmare. So they went, they left, and they started that, and the founder of Tiki invested in that company. Oh. Yeah, so, hmm. so that, that's one example, right? So uh, good. Founders always enable more founders, and that, that's what I've been seeing a lot. Like VNG, Tiki, um, 
Lazada, a lot of the employees of those companies ended up being founders themselves. So, so that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. So for those 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 founders who are thinking of like starting a job or they are already starting it, then what is the one thing that they should know about startup funding? Um, it's not easy to get funding in Vietnam. I, I have to say that up front right now. And the reason is because, you know, uh, you look at startup funding, there's a few stages, right? There's a friends and family stage where, you know, basically you, you, you get money from yes. your friends and family. And fools. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. something like that, and then uh, and then maybe angel investors or individual individual wealthy people who have some money and they want to invest into small project with you know that hopefully get returns later, um, and then comes uh, institutional investors, which breaks down into incubator, accelerator, uh, venture capital funds, and then later on private equity funds and post IPO. Uh, capital market funds, you know, so every at every step there are funding. But in Vietnam right now, I think there's a gap. So, you know, you get some angel money, uh, like friends, family, and angel investors, and then maybe uh, some seed funding, seed funding like the, the very first round funding, right? But then after that, you know, like uh, the funding get a bit less and less and less. Um, so, so it's hard, and that's because I think our ecosystem hasn't gotten to a point where there's enough like major deals. You know, the for example, the biggest deal uh, ever recorded in financial technology in Vietnam is like VNPay, and that was SoftBank. But that took about seven years, like eight years, into fintech start in Vietnam to get to that point. Uh, and only recently, the more more VNPay, right? Um, and another thing is, I think a lot of because startup becoming such, such a hype in Vietnam, everyone is jumping in. You know, it's like, oh, I'm doing this, it's a startup. I'm running a coffee shop, it's a, it's a startup. It is a startup, but you know, it's not the kind of startup that investor, would, VCs, uh, like venture capital fund would invest in. Mm-hmm. We generally like, you know, fast scaling, fast growing, uh, highly scalable models. And a lot of those models are often technology. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're running, you know, like a coffee chain, uh, there's a high chance that a lot of people, a lot of fun funds might pass on you because you know it's not fast scaling at least in our you know consideration. Uh, however, you're running like a software service company, uh, building the same uh, a better CRM for kitchens hmm. for like restaurant. Then yeah, that'd be something that we we interested in hearing more. So hmm. how are you gonna do it? Uh, what are you doing? How you get the customers side up? So that sort of thing, hmm. and you. And what again, are the size deals that you guys looking at right now? Um, so for before for Visa, I was looking at like, again like I said very early on, right? Like a pre idea or like idea stage or pre prototype stage, right? So like three to six hundred thousand uh, dollars worth like in valuation. So that's that would be what probably 10, 10K? 10, 15 billion VND. Mm, okay. Um, but the oh. mm, okay. Yeah, and then but then for access venture because it's a it's a regional fund, it's a much bigger fund. We we operate in in South Asia, uh, Vietnam, Indonesia, Singapore is the three main market, and then Korea, as well. So we look for deals ranging from half a million dollars, all the way to at least one or two million. Uh, and usually these comes in not just one round of funding, could be multiple round of fundings. You know, we invest in you once and then 
uh, you're doing well, and then you raise a new funding round, we have the option to invest again, and we would, mm-hmm. uh, usually, usually. Um, so, and, so that's uh, the kind um, of company that we look for. Yeah. yeah. And right now in VCs, there are more VCs funds that's been opening, right? From I've seen a lot of reports about more funds opening, like more size deal or more s- bigger fund that's starting and like vouch uh-huh. to invest in Vietnam. Yeah, well, so there are two types of VCs in Vietnam. There's a local ones, uh, meaning the Vietnam-focused one. So like Firestar Vietnam was one of the earliest Vietnam-focused fund. Uh, or ESB Capital started by a couple uh, successful entrepreneurs. Um, uh, Visa could be considered a VC fund, albeit a, a more hybrid model. Um, but, but then there's also the regional fund. So like ourselves, for example, we, we are not based in Vietnam. But I'm here, you know, I'm basically the, the guy on the ground, you know, supporting like get deals, execute deals and also like working with founders to help the company grow, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and then other funds, other Korean funds like Next Strands, um, or Singaporean fund like uh, Cocoon Capital, it's like, that's like an angel, angel seed funding. Um, and all the largest fund like Open Space Ventures, which uh, invested in Topica, Mm. You know, some uh, one of the major deals that yeah. they did. The fifty million dollars deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. something like that. So, so and and then there are funds that have local people, but still consider themselves a regional fund, uh, like uh, Patama Capital, mm-hmm. and and also obviously you know there are more, you know, like uh, traditional investors who are now reinventing themselves. They opening new funds that basically focus on just. Mm-hmm venture capital funding. So like Vina Capital was an example, right? They, they've been traditionally an asset management, uh, private equity, post IPO, you know, also a sector, but venture capital. So now they open they open a new Vina Capital venture fund mm. that just invests in startup. I see. There's that kind of fund as well. I see. Last year, 2019, I would consider it's not a very bright year of startup. We have a few uh, fail unicorn, like for example, Uber with their fail, fail IPO or WeWork, um, that yeah, basically they just they had to postpone their IPO like like indif- indefinitely, and then like in Vietnam, there's also like um, funded companies that went bankrupt or founder and investor um, go went to go to legal battles mm-hmm. mostly because um, the founders unable to manage the fund that they got. I do you think that is gonna change in VC? Uh, that is that gonna affect the VCs industry in, in the future? Because no, of all these incidents. No, I, I mean it. I think it's actually could be a good thing for the ecosystem. Because again, you look at Uber and Live, uh, and then WeWork, ODs, you know, like uh, botch IPOs or like you know, like uh, under underperforming IPOs, right? You know, they. That's the side of the public market is saying that look, whatever model you're using to evaluate companies before the IPO stage, that didn't work. Like for example, we, we worked, went to Naira funding just from SoftBank, and the, 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 the revolution went crazy. Mm. So the, the public market's not gonna take that. So, that, so that's what, the, I mean, that, that's a sign saying that there's something fundamentally wrong with the way we as VC investors are evaluating these startups. So we need to change. And also for the companies, you know, that's also a wake up call that look, you, you need to start looking at the fundamentals. So let's say you are, you, you're running a costly business. You need to look at the fundamentals like, okay, how do you optimize your burn, your, your, your burn rate, your, your spendings, 
and also how to maximize your 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 revenue, your profit. Um, and also, so so I think that's actually a good thing. Your company have to be, be, before they even think about like look, I'm gonna change the future, and this is what all these stuff are saying. I'm gonna be Uber, or whatever, we work whatever. Um, you gotta run a successful business first, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's what startups are. They are fundamentally fast growing, highly scalable businesses, but they're still businesses. And uh, the whole scale at at all costs. It's no no longer not gonna fly. So uh, I think that's a good wake up call for both VCs and startups mm-hmm. to be more mindful of the fundamentals like metrics, uh, burn rate, you know, like uh, ROI, uh, average revenue per users, all these things. Just not not chasing after uh, fake metrics and fake progresses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So investor, they have to be more mindful about. Um, the 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 projects that they gonna put in, mm. and what's the visual, and then like, um, and then for for startup founders, they need to to look at uh, like how are they gonna like able to make use of the the profit? Are their business really scalable or really um, like work, or is it just like, uh, is yes, or so or so so that they don't have really conflict between the interest between of the business and investor, right? So there has been case that investor take over the company because the founder has unable to um, use the resource very well. Well, so I mean, and again, this this is, I get it, right? So you're a founder, you you basically give birth to this project, but it has to be a point when you realize that you're no longer fit. To run this company, um, there's been a few cases in Vietnam where you know the CEO stepped out, the, the founder's last CEO have to step out, and then someone else became CEO. But that's not always a bad thing. Again, when I mean, you you might have given birth to this project, you might have given birth to this company, and you might have run it to where it is right now. But there there always have to be a point of pivot where you're like, look, I'm I'm no longer fit to be the leaders of this organization leader of this company to take it to the next level. I should step back, uh, serve as a different role. And that's exactly what happened with um, Starbucks, right? Mm. You know, the Howard Schultz was, you know, he was the CEO for a long time, and, but then he decided like, one day that, okay, I need to step back, and, he, and then he became a chairman of the company and then let his CFO become a CEO. Um, and then recently there's other company that also had reshuffling their yeah, yeah, Alibaba or um, Google. Yeah, in Vietnam, that was Topica, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, digitally changed the CEO right after Lunar New Year, mm-hmm. uh, right before Lunar New Year. So that was an example of, uh, you know, how different period need different leaders. And as founders, you should always be prepared that one day you know you become irrelevant in your role, and you need to change. You need to change yourself as the company needs to change. Oh, very insightful. Thank you. Is there any? So right now, what size? Uh, what what stage of startup that uh, Access Venture is looking at? Um. So, and I said before, there's multiple stages for startup, right? So, we, if we at institutional investors would be looking at the seed to Series A, meaning you know, like could be the very first round funding for the company, for first institutional route funding for the companies, uh, so at least like half a million dollars, or, you know, Serie A, I mean, we could put in like one, two million dollars 
and with other investors. So uh, the company in Syria, you know, they would have to have a, quite a bit, of, quite a bit of traction. You know, meaning they have been to operate for after how many months, and then have how many users, how many customers, uh, how much revenue, uh, what's your, what's your like unit economics. You know, like the retention rate and all that. So we look at all that. So I think for the Syria company. Um, we spend a bit, quite a bit more time looking at these companies, and also our partners are very hands-on. So they, they also visit Vietnam, visit South Asia a lot. They, they, they in Korea and Hong Kong, but you know they fly in every month just to talk to these founders themselves, and also like get a better judge of the founders. And also we, as the, myself included, as as the investment team would all together look at the deals, you know, talk to the founders, and also like interview them, uh, look at their look at their books. Uh, Look at the financials. Look at the you know like numbers in general to determine whether this could be a worthwhile investment or not. Um, so that's that's how that's how we work. And so far we have, I think, six, wait, yeah, six companies in Vietnam. One exited. Uh, so you you and then people people might know about this. It's Mocha. Mm-hmm. So the it's Grab paid by Mocha. So mm-hmm. before it was a separate separate wallet, and then Grab acquired it. I think about. A little over a year ago, and so incorporated. A little explanation for the audience. Basically, uh, Grab, they have a um, financial wallet, right? Yeah, Mo- Grab, Mo- pay. Grab, Grab Pay. pay. Yeah. But in Vietnam, uh, because they cannot operate independently as Grab Pay, therefore they acquired Mocha yeah. to to be their. Um, yeah. So so that so so that was our first investment in Vietnam, and that was also the fun first exit, exit meaning that we got our money back and some. You know, get some profit back. Um, so that was a very proud moment for for the, the team, um, for me as well. You know, again, mm-hmm. our older market that we invested in Vietnam got a first exit, so great, yay! Um, <laughs> but yeah, we have uh, quite a number of companies, uh, all are doing well. Um, so we have our latest company that raised a new round was Vesere, mm. a bus ticketing company. They probably the number one in the market at the moment, mm. and they they raise significant amount of money from a few Korean investors. And also uh, regional strategics. Um, so hopefully with that we can grow even more. And again, my my role in Vietnam is not just to represent the fund, but also to looking for new deals um, and support existing companies we invested, our portfolio, com- our portfolio companies in any way that we can to help them achieve higher targets. You know, or hopefully one day get acquired by someone bigger like Mocha. You know, or you know. The best would be IPO, but mm. you know that that's a far-fetched target. So yes. try to be optimistic. Yeah. yeah. So because the startup community is quite new, so do you do you see that the the, the process to make a deal here is it longer, or is it shorter than compared to other uh, ecosystem? Definitely a bit longer. Um, you know, and there are, there are many reasons for that. So one reason is like the legal structure, right? So a lot of companies are based in Vietnam, meaning foreign investors have to put the money into Vietnam. As like FDI investment, that's quite scary. Oh, it's not as much scary as this is time consuming. Mm. And also, when you when you take the money out, you know you have to pay twenty percent capital gain tax, uh, which is a lot. <laughs> you you in considering you know, you invest a couple hundred thousand dollars, you maybe get by a couple million. You have to pay twenty percent of that, like one fifth of your own money. Yeah. And this is on profit, not on revenue, meaning that. How much you, you put how much in? You make yeah, how from, much you make uh, on a difference mm. when you put the money in? You take the money out, and you pay twenty additional twenty percent on that. Mm. 
So that's quite scary for a lot of investors. Um, I mean, but then there's also other company that in Vietnam, but they, they incorporate in Singapore. And that might sound easy, but they, when you actually get into it, there's a lot of uh, issues with the structure, legal structure, the frameworks that you use to incorporate these companies that you have to be really mindful of. Um, so that's why uh, a deal can take any, anywhere from the fastest deal that we ever done, probably like one month. Mm. Could take up to six months. Mm. Easy. Um, because of the issues. And you mentioned earlier that the legal framework for VCs now has, there's there's been no framework for it? Yeah, so uh, last year the, the Vietnamese government came up with a new decree, um, basically stating, uh, basically defining what is the venture capital fund that operate in Vietnam. So I, I know at least two, two organizations that signed up for the license to be a VC in Vietnam. But to be honest, the majority of VCs I know, they still, you know, uh, either set up in Singapore or, you know, somewhere else, because mm. it's just make it easier for them. Because again, as I said before, a lot of staff in Vietnam are opting still to sing, to be in Singapore. You have Vietnam, Vietnam fund, yeah. you know, you have to get a overseas investment license again. Mm. That also costs money and time. So, yeah. you know, in, in the spirit of, you know, fail fast and fail often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all, I, all, I, all I do fast and break thing, um, a lot of VC opt to create like a entity in Singapore yeah. and use that as an investment vehicle. Yeah, and, and then like sometimes even VC or investor would make the, the business to register an entity in Singapore to receive the yeah, fund so, of Yeah, uh, a lot of foreign funds do that. Uh, we don't make it a requirement, but a lot of other people do that. Because again, it makes it easier for them. You know? mm. yeah, they, they do hundreds of deals per year. Uh, like, if the least people would do is like at least dozens of deals. They don't, we don't have the, t- the capacity or the time to, you know, figure out all the legal, all the legal landscape in Vietnam. Like, oh, this is where I can invest, where I cannot invest. And we rely a lot on, on the local fund partners or the staff themselves. It's like, hey, tell us what to do. Um, obviously for us, you know, I'm here, so at least I can be uh, more useful on that front. But a lot of other fund, a lot of foreign funds, they don't have local people and they, they don't have the, the luxury of finding out. Mm. So they, they go with what they know best, which is, you know, up for the Singaporean entity or like a Hong Kong entity or some somewhere else easier. Mm. Wow, I just I think I just have a epiphany of a startup idea of becoming a, a legal consulting team or like an outsourced legal consulting team for VCs and startups in Vietnam just to do projects together. Yeah, no, there are, there are people doing that, absolutely. Um, I know of a few guys who actually do that for a living. You know, they, they do consulting works for startup and VCs to connect each other and also like sort out the you know all the legal struggles. Mm. It's a lot of that, but um, I think it's gonna change. You know, the the government you know, they they are pretty pragmatic. Like as long as the local company paying taxes and all that, they don't care. You know? mm. Yeah, I think, and then also startup is becoming one of the uh, forefront for the country development, right? Yeah. Um, not only in like the capital, like Vietnam in general, but each province and each city, like main city, they will actually try to build their own startup program, start incubators, startup accelerators to help to nurture the founders and the projects within the, the locations, the mm-hmm. base. And I think that's very promising, and it's also gonna be 
helpful and protect and it will give protections for investors mm. to starting to invest more money in Vietnam because mm. there's now legal framework and there's like you know uh, their guidance and then then rules or, or or legal conflict right mm. so I I remember that you wrote a few article about um, VC and yep. Vintech right yep. so if the audience if you want to uh, check out on that so long he has he wrote a few medium articles about mm. Vietnam startup like scenes I think it's very interesting it's very well around about the landscape and what's been happening right now mm. so he's been covered able to cover VC he's been able to cover about fintech I mean, even about like startup scene in general mm. so if you want to check out that then um, they can where can they check out those articles on um. So again, I, I have my LinkedIn account, which I put all my contacts there. Mm-hmm. Um, and also my, my work email is leo at accessvc.co. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can reach me on those fronts. Uh, mm-hmm. And find more about what I've, what I've been written, what I've been, uh, what I've been you know, sharing my thoughts and updates. Uh, obviously, we, uh, I do share both personal, you know, updates and uh, thoughts, and also like uh, fun updates, like uh, who we invested in and all that. So, please do check it out. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm also fairly reachable on LinkedIn. Just don't like send me a friend request and don't say anything. Uh, again, th- I think that's that's the number one thing that people uh, make a mistake on is that you you are adding someone, let's say on a social network like LinkedIn, at least they like, put in a, a message like, hey, who, who am I? What am I doing? Uh, why, yeah, why, why, why do I want to connect with you? you know? mm. Well, maybe they're just very accustomed to Facebook, Instagram, where <laughs> there's no explanation need, right? Yeah. So that, I think, I think that's, num- I think that's, that's why I like to see, you know, if someone add me, like at least say who you are. You know? like, <laughs> that's why, true. Why, why that's are you true. here? You know, something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So his email again is leo at accessvc.co. It's L E O at a c c e s s v c dot c o. Okay, I have a few more questions. So, if you uh, so you wrote a lot about recapping the scenes. So, how about forecasting? Where do you see like VC or startup like ecosystem in Vietnam gonna grow in the next few years? Um, well, it's definitely gonna go for the better. More homegrown VC fund, meaning you know, start started on and operated by local people. Uh, could be raising from local wealthy individuals as well, or raising from abroad. Um, and also more foreign VC is gonna come in. By coming in, I'm meaning that they're gonna try to set up a local office or recruit local people. I know at least a dozen, a dozen foreign fund with local existence, for example, right? Like meaning local people either work out of Singapore, Hong Kong, or Korea, or they work here, such is my case. So it's just gonna keep growing, um, attracting more attention, more interest from the regional VC community, um, and also the visual P community as well, the regional P community as well, because again, P would also like to come in to invest into like late stage companies. Um, with like Topica was an example, right? Mm. Uh, so that's always a good thing. Mm. And it's just gonna keep growing. Mm. And what is the one thing that you would share or you think that someone in VC industry that is looking into Vietnam and they should know about? Um, they should come to Vietnam first, you know, like, take a look at the market yourself. You know, that, that's always the easiest 
the easiest way to get to know a new market. Don't don't just read stuff. No, don't just like listen to stuff. You know, uh, see it, hear it, feel it, experience it with your own body, your own eyes, your own ears, your own you know visuals. Um, that would be my my best advice for any venture capitalist, any investor want to get into the country. Ah, great, awesome. Thank you for sharing a lot of insight to you for, to, for us today. So yes, so Lom and I, we know each other for a few years already. I think I met him like maybe a year after he came back to Vietnam yeah. and he was working in Visa. So he, uh, we would call in our crew friends is that someone's very reliable and then have a very resourceful. So whenever there's informations in startup that we need to know more because we all in the startup community and we want to know more information about it and we would reach out to Lam just to understand more and just to, or maybe just to check if that source information that we got is reliable or not. So LUM is definitely someone that you would want to connect if you want to know about Vietnam market as well as VC in Vietnam. So reach out to him again at leo at accessvc.co. That is L-E-O at A-C-C-E-S-S-V-C dot CEO. And again, thank you Lam for joining with me today. And yeah, hope you guys enjoy this episode of Vietnam Rising. This episode is brought to you by Waves. Waves is an audio platform for Vietnam and Indonesia. They are building a super app for all things audio. Audio books, podcasts, online education and entertainment with a focus on local language content. Personally, I love Waves because I've been using them in my free time. Whenever I go to the gym, instead of listening to music, I will listen to many of my favorite podcast shows in business, lifestyle, and comedy, all in Vietnamese. This is entertainment at its best. Check them out at waves8.com. That is W-A-V-E-S 8 as in number 8.com.